Welcome to our last week of Bringing Sexy Back. Just a reminder, uh, this series has a PG-13 rating, so if you have any small children that you, you don't want to, to them to hear about from the Bible, the bum chicka wow wow, then you might want to take them to an environment. Uh, we have environments for babies all the way uh, up to fifth grade today. So anyway, um, we're last week talking about it. One of the things we've been talking about up to this, up to this point is that sex, there's a lot of sex in the Bible. The reason why there's a lot of sex in the Bible is because God created sex. See, some of you, you may have grown up in an environment or in a church that you thought that God was very anti-sex. But God is not anti-sex. He created it. He's for it. He is for sex in the context that it's supposed to be, which is the context of what? Marriage between a husband and a wife. Uh, One of the things we've been learning about is that God wants to write a passionate love story between you and your spouse. And the verse that we've been coming back to for the past three weeks now is the verse in Genesis 2.24, and it says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Last week, we talked about that the word united does mean to join together, but it also means to pursue passionately. And that the reason why so many couples fall out of love is because they stop pursuing their spouse. I mean, all of us, when you got, before you got married, when you were dating, you pursued your spouse. You were interested in the things that they were interested in. And usually afterwards, after you get married, the couple stops pursuing one another. And thus, the, the, everything kind of cools. And uh, the passion kind of leaves, all right? That's what we talked about last week, that your marriage is one step away from a steamy marriage if you choose to pursue your spouse. That's Genesis 2.24, but I want us today to look at the next verse in Genesis 2.25, and it says this, Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no, what's that next word? Shame. Shame. That's what we're going to be talking about today. When Adam and Eve first got married, when they were first together, they experienced no shame. They they knew nothing of guilt, of embarrassment, of distance in the relationship. I mean, they were just innocent. It's like this. I I got three boys. How many of y'all have boys for kids? Y'all know if your boys are anything like my boys, you better call before you just pop on over to the Edmondson household. Because at any time, i got a 12-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old, at any time during the day, those kids will take off their clothes and have naked time. Right? They don't have a pro- And Daddy likes doing the same thing, so you definitely need to call. I'm going to throw that out there, all right? <laughs> but uh, my, I have a, a 3-year-old. His name is Bing. And he will absolutely throw off all of his clothes and just start screaming through the house running. I mean, because... He doesn't have a problem with that, right? I mean, he's, he's just a child. He doesn't know any better. He has just childlike innocence. It doesn't matter who's over, right? It, I mean, he will dance in front of you, and he'll, you know, he'll do it all. You know, come, he'll do the Ray Charles, you know, let me hear you shake your tail feathers. He'll do it all, all right? Because he's a child. He doesn't, he, he doesn't know any shame. He doesn't know any guilt. He doesn't have any embarrassment. Adam and Eve had that kind of relationship. In the fact that they were childlike, they were innocent, they weren't worried about fashion. I mean, she wasn't worried about fig leaves saying, do these fig leaves make my butt look fat? 
right? He wasn't worried about fig leaves saying, hey, does this make my guns and my arms, do, 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 does, it, does it make me look buff? They weren't worried about it. They were just naked. And it's not just talking about physical nakedness, but it's talking about they bore it all to everyone. To just to their, they bore it all to their spouse. I mean, they bore it all not only just physically, but they didn't, have, they didn't keep any secrets. I mean, imagine if your spouse knew what you were thinking at all times. How many fights would that start? Seriously. Now, these people, they didn't know what each other was thinking, but these, the, the, the husband and the wife, they didn't have a reason to keep any secrets. They were intimate relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, they opened up completely to one another. I mean, imagine that type of intimacy in your relationship today. I mean, the, the, that type of relationship where two people didn't have to hide behind masks, uh, free from insecurity and distrust. I mean, a, a safe place of security. God wants to create your relationship like that with your spouse. And again, it just goes beyond just physical nakedness, but being emotionally naked as well. Adam and Eve were as close as two people could get at that time to one another. And they were as close as they could get to God because it was perfect. Nothing had come into the relationship. There wasn't any shame. They were intimate, but the intimacy didn't last. In fact, I want to read from you. This is in Genesis chapter 3. God told them very specifically, I want you to do some things and I, I don't want you to do some things. And they turned around and they disobeyed God. And look at what happened once they did that. This is verse 7. And after they had eaten it, Right away, they had saw what they had done. They realized that they were, what's that next word? They were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together to make something to, what? Cover themselves. Late in the afternoon, a breeze began to blow, and the man and the woman heard God walking in the garden. They were frightened and hid beside some trees. Then the Lord called out to the man and asked, where are you? And the man answered, I was what? I was naked, and when I heard you walking through the garden, I was what? Frightened and what? Hit. And you know what? We've been hiding ever since. We hide ourselves from God. We hide ourselves from our spouses. We hide ourselves from other relationships. We have been hiding from God and hiding from each other ever since. We cover up our intentions. We cover up our thoughts. We, um, we hide our true feelings and our intimacy. Intimacy between God and intimacy between people. It, 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 and even if we describe intimacy today, it's just a shadow of really what it should be. I mean, we should be closer to God than what we should, and we should be closer to one another than really what we should, but something came in the way. Something filled this relationship with shame. Look back at Genesis 2.25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no Shame. That Hebrew word for shame is barosh. Everybody say that. Barosh. That's a good name. And let me tell you what it means. It means to be ashamed, to disappoint, or listen to this, to become dry. I mean, what dries up a marriage? What dries up relationships? What brings shame into relationships? What kills the intimacy? In your marriage. Not in, we're going to talk about in marriage, yes, but what kills the intimacy in any relationship? What kills relationships when it comes to just friends, just being friends? 
what comes to uh, killing relationships between a co-worker, anything. What brings shame and dries up all the relationships? Two things we're going to look at today, these intimacy killers. The first one, the first thing that destroys intimacy is sin. Nothing will bring disappointment and shame quicker into a relationship than sin. What changed between Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve and God is that Adam and Eve chose to sin. Now, sin is kind of a churchy word, so let me break that down for you if you would. What does it mean to sin? Well, to sin means to selfishly choose your own way. Let's all say that together. To selfishly choose your own way. You see, God, He has a plan for our lives. And when we choose not to go with God's plan, and when we choose to go with our plan, we're being selfish because we think we know better than God. That's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They chose their own plan. They chose to sin, and that sin broke every relationship. It broke the relationship between husband and wife, but not only that, it broke the relationship between people and a loving God. Sin will destroy intimacy. The essence of sin is selfishness and pride. When we place ourselves over God and others, and when we do that, it impacts every relationship. Our big idea today is this, that sin and selfishness destroy intimacy. Let's say that together. Sin and selfishness destroy intimacy. Let's say it again. Sin and selfishness destroy intimacy. What is the result of sin? It's shame and it's death. Listen to these verses. This is Romans 5.12, and it's talking about Adam and Eve and the choice that they made. Adam sinned, and that sin brought what? Death into the world. Adam's decision to sin and Eve's decision to sin, to selfishly put their desires over God's, that sin brought shame and death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death and emotional death and relational death. That decision brought the... It it, it destroyed the intimacy between husband and wife. It destroyed the intimacy between people and God. Listen to Romans 3.23. It says the same thing. For the wages, that's kind of a churchy word, when you get a wage, that is a result. The results of sin is what? Death. Sin kills intimacy. If your goal is to destroy a relationship, then sin. And any sin will do. I mean, gossip, um, be negative, um, lie to your friend, treat your coworker harshly, talk bad about your boss, bring porn into a marriage, become arrogant, prideful, selfish. Any of those sins will destroy any relationship, any relationship. You can sin against another man or another woman or against God and watch that relationship wither and waste away and become dry and die. Because sin always leads to hurt, brokenness, shame, and death. Now, which is, and and there's a huge principle I want to talk about here, that wherever sin lives, intimacy dies. But I love this. Wherever sin dies, intimacy thrives and lives. Wherever sin lives, intimacy will be destroyed. Whatever sin dies, 
intimacy will flourish and thrive. Now, some people might be think, tempted to think, you know what, sure, I hear what you're saying. You're a preacher. You're supposed to speak against sin and all this stuff. But it's really not that big of a deal. Well, you, some spouses excuse one another's sins, or some spouses choose to partner together in some sins, and they think they're not hurting each other, but you would be dead wrong. Because sin always brings death. Let me say this out there. Do you know that there's not one sin that brings life? Think about that. There's not one sin that leads to life. Not one. Some couples will try to spice up their marriage by bringing porn in. But hear me. It's not going to spice up your marriage. It will destroy your marriage. Because that's what sin does. Sin and selfishness will destroy intimacy every time. It won't bring life. It will bring shame and death. Sin will keep your marriage from becoming God's best for your life, from experiencing true intimacy with each other and with Him. And just think, if you think you're going to get one over on God, listen to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says this, You cannot fool God. Don't make a fool of yourself. You will harvest what you plant if you follow your, now let's all say this next word together, selfish desires. You will harvest, what's the result? Let's say it, destruction. But if you follow the Spirit, you will have eternal life. The second thing that destroys intimacy is selfishness. Selfishness. Again, sin and selfishness go hand in hand. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and this is where we're going to end for the day. Philippians chapter 2, great verse. Paul is writing this. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, as Paul is writing this, Paul had heard about Jesus, he had talked to some people about Jesus, he had observed Jesus, and from his observations, he decided to write some things about Jesus. Now, a lot of people debate these verses and argue over these verses, and theologians say, what does it mean? And they have a tendency to make something very simple, very complicated. And I believe Paul was not writing this to cause a fight. He was trying to write this to clearly state what, how you should treat other people in relationships. Now, we're primarily talking about your intimacy, you know, your husband and wife, but you can apply this to any, any relationship. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 3, and it says, do nothing. What does nothing mean? No thing. Thanks for coming to One Church. Do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. All right? Now, now right out of the gate, God tells us what will destroy a marriage in a relationship quicker than spit. And he says, do something selfish. He tells us what will mess up love and intimacy, and it's having a me first type of attitude. I, I'm first. I'm the most important. You serve me. It's about me. Selfish ambition, that's what it carries. It, it carries a me first type of attitude, trying to prove that we're right, trying to win an argument, trying to get things our way. Some of you, you think, you know what, the right way is to do it my way, Right? Ladies, that may be your philosophy. Guys, that may be your philosophy. I don't know about your relationship. We've had fights over how the toilet paper goes on the roll. I kid you freaking not. We, we had fights over how to squeeze the, to, the, the toothpaste. 
we, we've come to a rela- you know, a, an agreement in our relationship. We have two tubes of toothpaste. Seriously. Some things just aren't, it, it, they're not worth the fight. I take the toothpaste and I go like this. Because I'm in mad. All right? My wife, she takes the toothpaste and she rolls it up. All right? Life's too short for that smut, right? I just squeeze it. We have two tubes of toothpaste. My point is, we have a tendency to, you know what, try to win an argument. Try to one-up the other. God is saying you need to get rid of that mentality. If you're fighting in your relationship to try to win, then in order for you to win, somebody has to lose. And you know what? That means both of you are a loser. Guys, if you win and she loses and she's angry at you, you've lost that night. Am I right? All right, then. That's what I'm saying. So we're tracking here. All right? Now, he talks about get rid of that me first, that selfish ambition, but then he talks about vain conceit. And what that is to don't try to elevate yourself or to puff yourself up. Guys, we don't have a problem with that at all, do we? All right? Ego. Again, we don't have an issue with that at all. And I'm lying. All right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then here's the point. Rather, in what? Humility. Now, he's talking about an attitude here. Rather, in humility, value. Everybody say value. Value others above yourself. Value others before yourself. Value others before yourself. Think of other people before you think of yourself. Literally act like he is more important than she. And act like that she is more important than he. Act like the other person in the relationship is more important than you. Now, some of you, you're pushing back. You're saying, you're saying he's more important to me? Right? Are you saying that she, he is more important to me? No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Are you saying that she's more important to me? No. I, are you saying that other people are, have more intrinsic value to God, that, that men are more important to God? Than, no, that's, that's, not what the, that's not the point of this passage. All of us are on the same ground. God loves us all the same. But what he's saying, if you want relationships, if you want to bring the sexy back in your relationship, if you want to bring the spark and the passion back in your relationship, then you've got to treat the other person better than you treat yourself. Now, this phrase at the end of verse 3 carries the idea of letting the, the per, another person in line in front of you. How many of y'all, somebody's ever cut in line in front of you? How does that make you feel? Mad? Anything else? Thanks, Stephanie. All right? Unimportant? All right? Y'all need to know this about your pastor. I sometimes have anger issues. <laughs> so that's, that's a surprise. The people in my small group or that have been in small groups with me, y'all know I need counseling. All right? It's mainly when it comes to driving. Because when I'm going down the interstate and, you know, it's a gridlock, I'm on the interstate and I'm just waiting here, and some Yahoo gets on the side and starts passing me, I start freaking out. I do. I've never flipped anybody off. I've never cussed at anybody. I have called people idiots and some other things and that I shouldn't. But see, when somebody cuts me off, I get ticked. And you probably do as well. Again, uh, this, this past October, we went to uh, 
uh, Walt Disney World and took the family to Walt Disney World, and we were waiting in 75 minutes in this line to go see Peter Pan. 75 minutes. That ride has been at Walt Disney World for 28 years. 75 minutes, all right, because my son, Bing, he ain't seen it yet. He's three. I am 40. I've seen it, all right. Seven, did I say 75 minutes? I'm sitting there. We're 55 minutes into the 75-minute wait, and some person just cuts in front of me. You know, and I'm pretty sure I had a One Church t-shirt on or I love Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> but if I had a cattle prod, I would have used it, all right, because... We all get crazy. None of us like somebody cutting in front of us. But what Paul is saying, if you want a relationship to thrive, then you have to have that other, the other people first type of mentality. You've got to let people in front of you. You've especially got to let the, the most important person in your life, your spouse, in front of you. And you treat them the way you would want to be treated. That's one of the big ideas we teach in our one-way street environments all year long. You treat other people the way you want to be treated. And if you want your spouse, if you want your relationship to continue to thrive and to grow, then you have to treat your spouse better than you treat yourself. This is huge. I know this is counterintuitive what I'm getting ready to say, but listen to this. If you want to get what you want most out of the relationship, then you have to do your best to help the other person get what they want most. You hear me on that one? Okay, guys, what do we want most? macrame cake holders. I know. That's what you want out of your relationship, right? That's not what you want, right? You know what we want. But again, we talked about this last week. If you want what you want, then where does sex begin? In the kitchen, right? It begins in the morning. It begins by serving your spouse. And you don't do it with, I'm going to do this, but you better do this, right? Because some of you, your pushback is going, what if, if I treat them better or if I put their needs always before my own, what if I get taken advantage of? Well, you might. You might. But what, what if my spouse is all, you know, selfish and he doesn't, well, you, he might be or she might be. But frankly, that's none of your business. What God is saying, you need to do this. And amazingly, if you do this, God will take care of your spouse. All right? All right? Keep on going. Now, he says, treat them better than you treat your, what, how do you treat your most valued possession? Think about it. What is your most valued possession? Some of it, it may be in your garage, and you shine it, and you wax it, all right? You, but you treat your most careful possession very protective. You treat it carefully. You keep it clean. You keep it shining. You know where it is. It's in your garage. Think about how you value and protect your most valued possession, and what what Paul is saying here is that's how you need to treat the special someone in your life. You're supposed to treat them with kind of like a sense of, oh. But we don't do that, do we? But you used to, right? I mean, think about it, guys. When you were dating, what did you do to pursue your spouse? You gave them flowers. You did wonderful things for them. You did amazing. By the way, how many of y'all did the homework this past week? All right. Cool. Cool. All right, anybody want to volunteer what you left in your spouse's car? Didn't think so in church. All right, cool. You know, but you used to do that. You used to treat them better than you treated yourself. But you know what? Then you got married, and then you stopped doing that, and then you wonder, how come 
the spark has kind of died. You don't. You know what? The spark doesn't have to die. Maybe those feelings aren't there anymore, but you know what? If you start treating them the way you did treat them when you were dating, that feeling will come back. We talked about that a lot last week. You can bring the sexy back in your marriage just by valuing them over yourself. Every single day, making the decision, you're more important than me. This is called mutual submission. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of fear and reverence for Christ. And that's what we talked about. This is where a couple says, you first, baby. No, no, you first, honey. No, you first, dear. No, you first, and you get in a fight over who's going to go first. Right? That's how it should be. You're putting the other spouse's needs above yourself. You value him, value her above yourself. Now, if that wasn't enough, Paul goes on in verse 4, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you should look out to the interests of others. Now, this is hard for me. This right here, verse 4, is hard for me. And you want to tell you why? Because I am mostly interested in the things that interest me. Let me say that. That may be a little too complicated for you guys. I am mostly interested in the things that interest me. Now, you are probably have the same problem I do, right? I like certain things, and if I don't like them, I'm not interested in them. And even if you like them, interested in them, it's not that, I'll give you an example in my relationship right now. My wife has started getting into running. She is running every day. She, she ran her first 5K about a month ago. Now, this body doesn't run. Now, I am starting to run. I'm on a treadmill, but, I mean, it's pretty humorous. It's kind of like a penguin running, all right? Now, here's the thing. She's getting into it. She's got books. She's reading. She's got stuff on her iPhone that tracks her pulse and all that stuff. I mean, she's getting into all of this stuff. Um, You know, she's wanting me to get her workout music and stuff like that, and, you know, and I could just say, you know, no, thank you. You're interested in that. I'm interested in something else. But see, this verse says, no, 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 no. I have a decision to make. And it's not just do I like running. It's deeper than that. Is The the decision is, am I going to be interested in what my spouse is interested in? Or am I going to continue to be selfish? And you have that same desire and the same decision as well. So I have a decision. Am I going to love me? Or am I going to love her over me? What decision do you have to make? Now, some of you, you put the other person's interest above your own. This answers the question, what is legal in the bedroom? Right? Some of you, we, we took a question, second service, first week, saying, you know, what's legal? And they asked all kinds of crazy questions, and I answered them. And, um, but as long as it's between you and your spouse... And you're not breaking any other people inside this bedroom relationship, whether that be through pornography or literally other people. As long as it's between two people, husband and wife, between you two, it's whatever the spouse wants. Well, some of you, well, my spouse wants some crazy stuff. You know, he wants me to dress up like Princess Leia, you know, and all kinds of, with the whole buns on his head and all that, you know. All right. Well... But better that than Yoda. That is true. All right. Wow. I was thinking Jabba the Hutt. But I'm throwing that out there, all right? All right. But what is your partner interested in? 
If it's only between the two of you in marriage, then if it's what your partner likes, then marriage and sexual intimacy is putting your spouse's needs ahead of your own. Now, guys, you're gonna, that's, that should be the time in this you should say amen, all right? But I'm going to reverse this, all right? Guys, if you want her to do that in the bedroom, then let's fast forward to March Madness. You are watching the game. All right, and it is, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, it's second quarter, it's tied, and your spouse comes in and says, I need to get something from Old Navy. I need to get a new outfit. Will you come with me? Oh, yeah, so y'all have had this conversation. Now, hear me on this one. You put your spouse's needs above your own. What do you think is the right answer? Sure, no. what was that? All right. This is where if you have TiVo, it's a wonderful thing. Because you can have your cake and eat it too. But if you don't, you turn it off and you say, yes, dear. I would love to. Now hear me. Some of you are going, that's crazy. You dumb, preacher. Right? But hear me. If you want her to put your needs above your own, then maybe you need to do the same. And see, we can all apply it in the bedroom, but let's apply it in the living room. Let's apply it with the remote. Let's, uh, let's apply this in areas where, guys, we struggle with. When, when it's the Super Bowl or it's whatever, and she comes in and says, I need some help bringing the groceries in. Then you better hire somebody because I am glued in front of the game. Wrong answer. That's not putting your spouse's needs above your own. Let me give you, as, as we close, uh, I've got two verses and I want to hit it. But let me, the best way I can explain sexual intimacy, and even, I've heard this in heaven, how, and, and this is not theologically correct, don't take this literally, but just hang out with me for a sec. Some people describe heaven at a banquet table. Everybody's around a banquet table. And el- nobody's elbows can bend. And there's all this food and everybody is famished and hungry. And in heaven, what everybody does is they scoop it, and because they can't feed themselves, they'll feed the person next to them. Now, the picture of hell is the exact same picture. Everybody's famished. Everybody's around a table. Nobody's elbows can bend. And everybody is refusing to feed anybody else because they're worried about their own desires. And everybody's dying of hunger. Because they're not willing to feed someone else. That is a great picture of marriage. Whether your marriage is thriving or whether it's dying. Will you focus on the other person's needs above your own? Or will you try to... Seriously. Now some of you, your big pushback is going, Okay, that's too much. Nobody realistically does this in marriage. Nobody realistically does this in any relationship. This is silly. Well, just in case (laughs) you think nobody has ever done this, let's keep on reading. And this is where we're going to finish, verses 5 through 7. If you think this is extreme, listen to how Jesus loved you. In your relationships with one another, Have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus. In other words, approach every relationship the way Jesus approached his relationship with you. 
who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, what, I, what that means is this. He had leverage. He was God. Jesus is God. He didn't ever play the Jesus card. You know, He didn't ever show up in a restaurant and go, hey, listen, um, I want that table. I'm Jesus. You may have heard of me. Right? Um, uh, he didn't come with his disciples and go, hey, how you guys doing? Um, yeah, uh, if you would, I, I need some dry cleaning done on this robe of mine, this toga. I'm Jesus. Right? Um, you may have heard of me. I've died for your sins. Right? He did not ever throw the Jesus card in there. He did not ever put his own interest above your interest and my interest. In fact, Mark 10, 45 says he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for others. No, he, he didn't consider himself, his equality with God something that he could just take to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Another translation literally says he emptied himself. See, some of you, you're full of yourself. But Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself. The New Living Translation says he gave up his divine privileges by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and he did that for you and for me. He didn't cling to his own privileges. He didn't say, you know what, I have emptied the dishwasher 15 times. I'm not going to do it 16. He didn't say, you know what, okay, I'll do this for you. If you I'll die for you if you'll do this for me. He never once did that. No, he said, you know what, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Knowing that not everybody is going to respond that way to me. But he still did it. And that is how we bring the spark back into your marriage. By you placing your spouse's needs above your own, and they may not respond the way you want them to. But really, that's between them and God. This is talking about you. You have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. I want to just give you one big thing as we close today. I don't think my number was up there, so I don't have any questions. Um, I will tell you next week, we're starting a new series, uh, a two-week series called Questions, in which we're just going to field your questions. I have no sermon planned for next week, so you guys better bring your phones and better text me some questions. We're going to have a lot of people up here, but next Sunday my wife is going to join me up here. And some of you may have some questions about that, how this applies in marriage and, you know, and maybe even our marriage. And if you ask some crazy kinky stuff, we're not going to answer it, all right, because that's between me and her. But if you have some really good questions about how this applies in marriage, we're going to go there with you, all right? So uh, we're going to give you a chance to be able to answer a lot of your questions next week. But let me tell you the best way, one of the best ways you can apply this. Number one, and the first one, you know this, is you need to treat your spouse above your own. But I want to give you a little bit more tools for your tool, tool belt. We're doing something, we do this once a quarter, and it's something called Married Life Live. And if you are following us on version, if you're looking on there, you can scroll all the way down on your smartphone. You know, you can follow us along, read all the scriptures and stuff. You can sign up for Married Life Live right now from your phone. If you don't have that, you can leave here and you can go out to the hub and you can sign up for Married Life Live. But I would encourage you guys, ladies, men, 
if you want a great relationship with your marriage. Mary Life Live is an event. I believe it's on April the 8th. It's a two, two-and-a-half-hour event. We, we're going to feed you. And we, uh, we have this literally a world-renowned speaker coming talking about marriage and family. Uh, this fellow has been on Good Morning America. He's been on uh, tons of television, t- uh, television shows talking about marriage. His name is David Foster. He's a good friend of mine. He's going to be preaching at one church in about a month. Uh, but he's going to be doing this Married Life Live for us, him and his wife Paula. So I would encourage you, sign up for this Married Life Live. It's a great way to apply that. If you're not married, I'm telling you, you can even still come to this and being able to get a lot of great stuff out of this. All right. Before we close, how many of y'all have enjoyed this series? All right, good. Um, I will tell you, we've had some pushback on this series. Why do we have to talk about this and stuff? I hope you've heard our heart and our prayer, the reason we've had to talk about this in church, because sex destroys too many lives. And we believe that God's Word has talked a lot about this, and because God has talked about it, we have to talk about it as well. So I hope I've not um, offended anyone by any type of crass humor or anything. I've tried not to do that. Um, and uh, I hope if you have any questions or concerns, you're more than welcome to email uh, me. If you have any complaints, you're more than welcome to email Ryan. Uh, Ryan at onechurch.tv. So anyway, all right, cool. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you so very much. And I thank you so much, Lord, um, that you, uh, you're amazing. And Lord, you want to be involved in every one of our relationships, in the kitchen, in the living room, in the bedroom. And Lord, I pray that today, one of the best things we can do is that we can place our spouse's needs above our own. We can treat them the way we want to be treated. And Lord, we can leave the results in your hands. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.